Hey, what's up, guys? It's Michael from The Honest Youth Pastor, the channel that exists to help believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today, we are going to be doing that by looking at a sermon, doing a sermon review. And this is going to be a weird one, y'all. This is me reviewing my own sermon. And you might think, well, that's incredibly narcissistic, sir. And I would say you, you, you will not, you will not feel that way by the time we get to the end, because, um, we're going to be reviewing my latest sermon that I preached on this, uh, the 29th of May, this, uh, weekend, Memorial day weekend. Um, and it's not, it's not my best. I can tell you that right now. Uh, in fact, I wanted to do it on this one because specifically because it wasn't my best. Uh, there was a lot of preparation, uh, more preparation I could have put into this. A lot of things that afterwards I realized when I was, when people had some questions and they were asking me some questions that I could have probably used some better examples on. Um, so not the shining star. Now here's the thing. Uh, this isn't posted anywhere, uh, because this is my audio recording from my phone. Cause I do that. I record my own sermons for myself to listen back to. So two things. One, I haven't listened to this sermon since I preached it on Sunday. So there's a lot that I've probably forgotten that I said. Um, so hopefully, you know, uh, I just want to say transparency wise, I'm not like, Oh, I'm super prepared because this was my sermon. I haven't listened to this for, uh, four or five days now. So we'll go through it that way. If you do want to listen to this entire sermon review uh, or this sermon without my commentary of myself, <laughs> there will be a link in the description below. It's just an audio link. Uh, you can do the video. Uh, it's, it's posted on YouTube, but it's just audio uh, that you can listen to it all the way through without me interrupting myself. That sounds really odd, but I'm going to be holding myself to the same standard we hold everyone else to when we do these sermon reviews, which means do I read scripture? Do I teach scripture contextually uh, using the, the text and the context and uh, sort of the culture of the day? And do I mention Jesus, specifically the gospel? So I'm going to be holding myself to those three things that we hold everyone else to. And again, if you want to listen to the whole thing without me commenting on myself, link will be in the description below. So as we read, as we listen through this sermon, which uh, is roughly about 35 minutes, um, what we're looking for is, do I read scripture? Do I use that scripture to teach using context and culture? And do I mention Jesus? So let's make sure that I hold myself to the same standards that I hold everyone else to. And that should, and well, not that you're ever going to make your critics happy, but lots of people have asked me to review my own sermons, probably um, just uh, as, as a way to be like, ha you won't do it. Well, I, I think this will be an interesting exercise because I know that this isn't the best one. In fact, there's a lot of, uh, a lot more prep that I probably should have put into this. Um, and you'll see that hopefully as we listen through this now. So you don't have to look at my face all the time. I am going to have, um, the scripture up on the screen for the video viewers. So we can kind of follow along in scripture, uh, because there's no video of this. It's just the audio and it's the audio off my phone. So please forgive me for the quality. Um, this is literally voice memos off an iPhone. So it's not like studio clearly. And it's in a room that's echoey. So you're going to hear that as well. So all that being said, I think I've caveated that to death. Um, if you, um, well, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. So let's get into it. Here's my sermon, uh, for Memorial day weekend on first Corinthians chapter five. Let's hop right in. Good morning. <laughs> all right. All right, he asked if anybody had had enough of hot dogs and burgers, and I haven't had the first one yet. I need at least four. 
All right, let's pray and then we will uh, we'll dive right into the message this morning. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for um, the things that you have done to even lead us up to have this opportunity to be here today, to worship you, to fellowship, to open your word. And Lord, I just ask as we look into your word today, change our hearts, change our minds, make us more like you to go out into a world that desperately needs you. Thank you for who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do in your name. Amen. All right, today we are going to be in 1 Corinthians. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians, uh, we're going to be in chapter 5. Now, to give you an idea, as you turn there, um, I always like to do this just so you kind of know where we're at, what's going on. Um, Paul is very familiar with the church at Corinth. In fact, you can read all about that. I would encourage you to do so. Acts 18 gives you the whole background of what's happening. Okay, so as I'm getting into this, just so you kind of know my style um, of what I, I typically do, I am going to tell you what my text is from the get-go. We're going to basically jump right into that text. Um, if there does need to be some sort of background information given, I'm going to do that, which is what you're going to hear me do here as, as we're looking at it. As far as the founding of the church, is he familiar with them? What's he talking about? So that when we get into chapter five, we at least kind of know um, a basic idea of what's sort of in their head, what they've heard, kind of what they're thinking a little bit. Because I, I want us to understand, especially whenever I'm preaching to a congregation, I, I want that congregation to get the idea that this is a letter, in this case, a letter written to a specific people at a specific time. And for us to at least understand that as best as we can, because these people would have heard certain things um, and taken it in a certain way because of who wrote it, right? So my intro, we always try to talk about these intros when we do these sermon reviews, is, you know, my style is to jump right into it. I'm going to give you as much context as I feel necessary, given wherever we're starting in the text, and then we'll jump right into the text. Now, I don't know if I explain it in this sermon. I don't think I probably do because... These, this congregation knows me, but um, we're going to read all the way through chapter five. And then I go back and I work through section by section. That's just my style. I found it to be uh, the most helpful in regards to teaching the text to people. Um, but again, that's my style, right? So that's what we're looking at. So let's keep right back into it. Uh, as far as the founding of the church in Corinth and Paul, when he founds it, he stays there for roughly 18 months, right around. And then he leaves and this, when he, he writes this particular letter, we're about four years past the time that he's left. He's actually in Ephesus at the time of this writing and receives word that, hey, Paul, uh, Corinth is having some issues uh, again. There's apparently, and we're going to get a little bit of a, a hint of this, there's a letter that he wrote to them before this that just isn't preserved apparently. Um, but he's already written to them once because of the issues occurring and this probably isn't much of a surprise to Paul. Uh, if you look at the history of Corinth, kind of, uh, they're, they're, they're sort of known for their immorality, particularly uh, their sexual immorality. So for him to hear this, he's disturbed, but uh, he's, not, he's not totally surprised uh, by it. He is surprised, however, by their reaction to it. Uh, the letter, if you read it all the way through, is super interesting to me because when, when you read a lot of the epistles, there's like this line of thought. But 1 Corinthians is really broken up into sections where he just addresses, hey, this is the issue. This is the gospel response to that issue. And it's super 
practical. Now, when we get to chapter 5, what we're going to be looking at uh, is a a particularly uh, debaucherous thing that's occurring that he is going to address. And and there are certain things uh, that I think we can take from this, that we can learn from this, that we can apply from what he tells them in in this passage. So we're we're going to read through uh, the entirety of chapter 5, and then we'll work our way back through it. So it's a little um, uh, shorter, uh, but if it were to have a movie rating, it would probably be rated R. Uh, just to give you a heads up. Chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he opens this section saying this. Okay, so this is where I just jump in and we're going to read through the whole thing. But I think it's important, which is the reason I do it. And this is I, this is super strange I, to, to review your own sermon. But I think it's, uh, hopefully it will be helpful, one, to demonstrate that um that I follow my own rules, or I hope I follow my own rules. I say that knowing that there's a few things in here that I don't, I didn't do in this sermon that I critique other people of doing. So hopefully this will demonstrate that um, we don't always get it right, right? Sometimes, sometimes what is the, what is the saying? Um, the, those that can't do teach, <laughs> I, I, I feel that hard sometimes, um, especially when we're doing these sermon reviews. Also, just as a quick break in note, um, if you don't feel like if you listen to this and you don't feel like I am as hard on myself as I am on the other sermons that we review, please let me know. Like you can DM me, you can put it in the comment section. I don't care. Uh, but I want to be consistent uh, in that. So if there's anything you see here that I do in this sermon that you're like, ah, oh, you critique people all the time for doing this and you do it. I want to know that because I, I, you know, we all have blind spots, um, especially when it's us doing it. So anyway, that being said, so, uh, I try to it, it, it give as much background as I can in a very short amount of time, right? So that wasn't very long. That was just a few minutes. I'm giving a pretty basic idea of who the who those in Corinth are. Do they know Paul? What's kind of led up to this this chapter here? Uh, how the letters broken down? How they would have heard it, right? Um, because it's not the main point, right? The main point is what we're going to be reading, but you at least need to understand what's going on up to this point. And hopefully I conveyed that uh, in that opening. And I think that's, that's pretty important to do every time you preach any, any section of scripture, you at least give some sort of context as much as you can. Obviously in the old Testament, there's, there's not as much sort of beefy context you can give historically, but there is always something um, so that it's grounded. And the people that are listening to you, have a basic understanding uh, of what's going on, at least at a very, at a very just, you know, passing level. So let's get into it. We're going to read through all of First Corinthians chapter five. Again, if you are a video viewer, hi guys, uh, you can. That's going to be on the screen. If you're an audio viewer, hopefully you have your Bibles open to First Corinthians chapter five. It is actually reported that there is sexually sexual immorality among you, and that of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, 
as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but the unleavened bread of the sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, uh, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing you not to associate anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolater or a rivaler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is not uh, those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now we start with that and you're like, wow, thanks. That's quite a downer from the worship we just had. Michael, thank you for running the mood. But Okay, so one of the things that I think is important there. Um, one of the, the pros and cons, I think, from reading scripture like that, like the whole section, is obviously the pro is that we get the entire gist of what he's saying in the section that we're looking at, right? There's nothing that, um, so at least from this part on out, if people have their Bibles open, which I'm assuming they are, um, then they've heard what Paul has written. So if I try, if I, if I blatantly contradict anything that I just read, they should at least pick that up a bit. That's my hope, right? Here's the scripture. Here's what it says. And now we're going to kind of work our way through it. So if there's anything I say that contradicts that, hopefully you're going to pick that up. If there's something that I go off on some tangent of my own division, my own, my own mind, right? That it's at least in front of you. And you can say, that doesn't seem to be what Paul is saying here, right? That's my hope, right? That's my hope in doing that because um, it at least gives them a foundation which to now uh, work off of as I preach this sermon. Now, obviously the negative part of that, the thing that may, um, may be a negative, I don't think it is, but I know there probably are a few people out there that will consider it a negative is that that took a minute. That was a little boring. I didn't really inflect a lot. I'm not the most engaging reader. Um, in fact, I have a really hard time reading that much text to be honest with you. But, uh, as far as just like concentrating and not losing my place in the words, but th that could be a negative, right? Somebody got bored. Um, I would say the, the, the pros outweigh the cons for sure in reading that. But in general, um, I think that's a very helpful thing to do. Now, what I'm going to do and what you're going to hear me do here is start working through this text um, section by section. Um, so let's get back into it. Paul here is addressing an issue that I think that we can learn a ton from. And we really need to learn a ton from just within the age that we live in. Paul is addressing, he starts off addressing a sin uh, that he says is so deplorable that even the pagans that they live amongst are like, there's a line there. Like he says, even those outside the church think you've gone just a little too far. In Roman culture, for example, uh, incest was outlawed. And Paul says, what's happening here uh, is basically that. And you're not calling it out. Now, culturally, we do need to understand that this is his stepmother, but uh, within the culture, it is seen as his mother. I mean, it's, it's seen essentially as the same thing. And Paul uh, says that they're tolerating it. Not only are they tolerating it, he says in verse 2, and you are arrogant. Now, there's a few things that we need to look at here again, contextually, as we kind of work our way through the sections. 
uh, he seems to be indicating, and he, he does it twice, uh, in chapter 6, verse 12, and in chapter 10, verse 23, he seems to quote them as something that apparently they say all the time, which is, all things are lawful for me. The, the Corinthians have this, this, I can do all things in Christ, but in the application, that's way wrong. <laughs> this idea that they are super knowledgeable. In fact, in uh, chapter 8, verse 1, he actually quotes them also as saying, uh, all possess knowledge, but alludes to the idea that like their knowledge is actually making them arrogant, and also you, they're, they're misapplying their freedom in Christ because of this arrogance. Now, maybe an applicable thing that we could think of today uh, is that we, we see the same sort of thing now. There's a lot of people that I know that uh, have much more biblical education than me as far as seminarians, but apply the scriptures totally. I mean, it's just so messed up. They're really, really smart, but they're so smart, they're dumb. So, um, two things here. One on a, on a totally not related to the actual sermon part here is I absolutely hate listening to my voice. <laughs> I hate it. I, I, I don't know if it's coming through that way to you. Like you always hear your voice differently, but I sound to myself as if I am a teenager going through puberty, like with these high end, like, like peak outs when I'm, when I'm making inflection, I don't, I, I preach like this all the time, just so you know, like I, I'm aware that like the, the inflection part when I preach that happens all the time. If you go, there's a whole playlist on here of my sermons. If you want to go listen to them, um, you'll, you'll notice this is the thing I do. I understand it's the thing I do. I can't, I can't help it. Um, I'd have to teach myself out of it, but I sound like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a boy going through puberty. So have at that as a joke, if you'd like, um, the, the, the actual example here though, that I'm, I'm trying to convey that I don't know if I do a great job of, which I stopped it before we get into one of the examples, because I, I want to put that out front with you here. Um, my intent was to use examples of people that write like enormous books on a variety of different things. It, in my mind, I had um, books on like biblical manhood and womanhood, for example, or books on uh, homosexuality, for example, in mind. I don't name them and you'll, you'll see that I don't name them. But I had that in mind with this idea of like we're going to there are people that will write extremely long books. Um, combating ideas that have been held by the church for, for centuries um, and then think that they have some sort of new knowledge on this, right? By breaking things down as if the church for, for 2000 years has been just totally wrong on this. Um, and th that's my point. Using that example in correlation with how the Corinthians are arrogant in thinking that they can do anything they want, or they have like a knowledge that surpasses what Paul has already taught them. And therefore what this man is doing with his stepmother is okay. Uh, that that's the point of my examples. Now, I don't think my examples, which you're going to hear the rest of here go, they, they, I don't think they, they do what they're supposed to do. Right. I don't think they communicate at the depth that they're supposed to communicate the correlation that I'm trying to make, but go ahead and listen and, and we'll, we'll keep going. Okay, there are books, two, three, four hundred page books that have been written to combat ideas that have been biblically held for centuries. Like, they sound really good. There's a lot of knowledge there, but they're just wrong. And this is sort of the thing that's happening in the Corinthian church. They're like, we know a bunch of stuff. We're free in Christ. And Paul's like, yeah, but that freedom in Christ doesn't mean you sleep with everybody. And he addresses it. And in fact, he says that they're arrogant. They have all this knowledge, but rather they should mourn. 
There, there's something to this, I think. There, there's something that they, 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 they've worked their way to the point they're like, ah. Maybe not everybody in the Corinthian church is cool with this dude doing what he's doing. But there's not a mourning there for the sin that's taken place. So I don't know how up you are in the news. right? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Maybe the things I'm going to say are totally surprised to you. Maybe you've heard about them. But within the last week... There was a report that came out from the Southern Baptist Convention, 400 pages of, 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 of to, to be transparent here. Um, I am ordained in the Wesleyan Church and the church I am preaching in for this particular sermon is a Wesleyan church as well. Like, I just want to put that forth because I'm going to mention, I mentioned the Southern Baptist Convention here. I don't know if it's within this section or later section. I mentioned the Free Methodist and Methodist Church, but I just want, just so you kind of know, like, um, how, how this congregation is hearing what I'm saying, they're hearing it from a denominationally Wesleyan perspective. So Sexual cover-ups and sexual morality that's happened over the last 20 years. In not too far from here, up in Warsaw, Indiana, there is a report of a pastor that was stepping down because of adultery. Turned out the adultery was with a 16-year-old. So here's the thing. This isn't foreign. This isn't old. This isn't just in Paul's day. This is a thing that is so sadly true to application now. That Paul goes, don't. He's telling Corinthians, like, you're trying to work your way around this. You're trying to say, oh, well, yeah, but this, this word, this word, like, we're good. And he goes, you should rather mourn that this is even happening. Do we understand it's a problem? Now, he, he moves on in verse 3. Because he says at the end of verse uh, 2, that let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now, verse 3. For though absent from the body, I am in pre- present in the spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has done such a thing. When you assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his uh, flesh so that uh, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. One of the things you're going to see here, um, or here, here, rather, um, as I go through it, is that this is a lot more heavy on teaching than it is preaching. Like, um, so I, I, I reread these sections we've already read. And then go into breaking them down. I, I, and most people, I mean, I have run into people for, for sure that wouldn't consider this preaching. They would very much more consider this teaching, which I think there is a bit of a difference in regards to um, how it's presented. Most of the sermons, for example, that we look at um, would be preaching in regards to here's the text. We're going to kind of expand out on this huge idea after reading the text. Um Teaching is much more like didactic. We're going through expositionally working through this. Um, and that's what you're going to see here. Like if you want to know how does Michael, AKA the honest youth pastor preach a sermon, this is how I do it. Right. It's very um, predictable. It's very uh, same every time in regards to, we're going to read the whole text and then we're going to go section by section through breaking it down and working through it, seeing how these connect to each other and then the application. That's just, that is exactly how I do it. Now that's not exactly how I was taught to do it, but that is how, um, that that's kind of the mode and rhythm I've personally fallen into. 
Um, just so you're aware of that. I don't want to break. I, I don't want to stop too much and explain through this because we're already about 25 minutes into the sermon review. We were only 10 minutes into the sermon. So I don't want to belabor this point, and make it super long, but I do sort of want to explain through like, this is, this is how I do it. And, um, it is a lot more teachy than it is anything else. I think. Now, there's something here that, that Paul is actually calling back to something that Jesus talks about in Matthew 18. If you can turn there really quickly. Uh, I think it's, it's important to read this. Because though, and I, I, maybe I should have given a caveat before I started preaching. I don't think there's any church discipline that needs to happen here. But that's good. Because the best time to learn about it is when you don't have to do it. Right? You're prepared for it. So chapter 18 of Matthew, if you want to turn there. Paul is calling back to the words of Jesus that he gives his disciples on how people are supposed to handle sin among other believers. And this is something that we do very poorly. Okay? Uh, uh, Very, very poorly. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained. One thing I do want to point out, um, there are going to be some, and this is a critique I give a lot of people, so I try not to do this myself. There would have been some pastors or a lot of pastors, perhaps, that would have just referenced Matthew 18 in regards to what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 5, in regards to like the, the method that Paul is using to excommunicate or disfellowship this individual. I, I think it's very important to go back to the text myself. That's why I do it. That, that's why now I direct the congregation to Matthew 18. That's why we're going to read through this section. It's not huge, but we are going to read through the whole thing because it's important for me and hopefully consistent with what I say on these sermon reviews to direct them to this text. The last thing I want anyone to do when they walk out of this church on Sunday morning is be like, Michael, gave us great tips on how to handle sin amongst one another. I, 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 could, I do not want that. What I want is for them to understand that if there is church discipline that needs to happen, if there is sin amongst uh, us as believers, there are biblical ways to handle it. We have Matthew 18, for example. Um, we have... Um, now, one of the things... I don't know if I directed them to this or not, which I know I I critique people on this all the time. So hopefully I did direct them to this, but maybe I I don't remember hearing myself tell them that that would be bad. The, the, the verse numbers, I I don't know. And I'm not going to rewind it because if I do, it'll, it'll like mess up the whole placement of where we're at. But Matthew 18 verse 15, we're going to read 15 through 20. And I want them to know that, um, so that they have that information available. So anyway, that, that just being said, I, I, why we go there, why we read it, is because I want that to be the foundation of what, what they're hearing. Gained a brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, uh, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done to them by the, my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, 
couple important things here. I don't, I don't have a lot of time to belabor this. But it, it seems to be when, when Paul is speaking as he's speaking in verses 3 through 5, this process has basically already been done. And, and this man is unrepentant. He doesn't care. And Paul goes, well, we're at the last step then of what Jesus said in verse 17. Now, this is a very serious thing. And I, I do want to cover these last two verses because I think these are taken out of context a lot. Verses 18 and 19 and 20 kind of solidify the seriousness of what Jesus is telling his disciples in regards to how we deal with one another with sin. What it means to and the importance of calling that out and calling someone to repentance. Oftentimes, and maybe this is in your head as well, church discipline is often seen as like this bad, heavy-handed, terrible thing that people are just being mean. Jesus' point here, and Paul in Corinth, the whole point is to draw believers back to Jesus. The whole point is to remind you that there is something better for you than your sin. And in this process here, especially verses 18, 19, and 20, Jesus really pushes in on how serious this is. That, that if the believers come together and say, you are out of this assembly... Because the thing you are doing is bringing reproach on the name of God. He says, that's a serious thing. You are binding things together here on earth that he will honor. It's not that you're determining their salvation. They've already forfeited it. You're just agreeing with them. Often these verses are taken out of context. But the seriousness and the weight of them and what Jesus is implying here is heavy. Now, back to 1 Corinthians. One of the things that I really wish I would have done there, I didn't have a lot of time to to break this down. 35 minutes, for example, is a pretty standard sermon length for us. Um, and I didn't want to go, I didn't want to give them so much information in two texts that it was sort of overwhelming. But one of the things that I think I, I could have done much better here in Matthew 18 is to really demonstrate that this is a long process. Like this is a three-step thing. Right. This doesn't happen in a day. This doesn't happen in a week. This is a thing that takes a while. Right. Um, and by the time we get to someone being disfellowshipped or, or excommunicated, um, a lot has happened. Um, if you want to go a little bit more into this subject, I'll leave a link in the description below. Me and my friend Rob did a uh, on our podcast, the Babbling Pastors podcast, did a church discipline specific podcast where we kind of work through this a little bit more in a practical way as far as within the church and examples that Rob specifically has um, that I think was really helpful and hopefully you'll find helpful. But that's what I really wish I would have done more here. In Matthew 18, there's a lot here that I could have expanded on in regards to just like, hey, this takes time, right? The la the absolute last step is disfellowshipping with somebody. There's, there's you going to them one-on-one. -on -one. There's you taking other people with you. There's you bringing them in front of the church. Like these, the Lord is gracious to us that he gives us three opportunities to repent of our sin before we're disfellowshipped and kicked out. Three opportunities to do that with the individual we've sinned against, with uh, the individual and two witnesses or two or three witnesses, and then in front of the entire congregation, like we have more than ample opportunity 
to either give someone to repent from their sin or if we're under church discipline to repent ourselves. Like there's more than ample opportunity. So by the time you get to being kicked out, you have made it quite clear to both the congregation and to yourself that you love your sin more than Jesus. So by the time you get to step three, you may not even get to step three because you might have already left the church or that person might have already left the church by step three because they the decision's already been made. And then I could have also, I, I think this would have taken a little bit more time to do, to be honest with you, but I think uh, verses 18, 19, and 20, I don't think I did a terrible job of explaining what's going on there, but because these verses are often taken out of context, um, almost always, I think I could have done a better job of actually explaining how they're taken out of context. And I didn't do that either, which I really wish I would have, I would have done, um, even if it took a little bit more time to do. But anyway, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When he gets there, this seems that it's already been done. And he says, hey, this guy doesn't care. He's still going to do it. He doesn't, he, he, he's been approached. And now when you come together, verse 17 of Matthew chapter 18, you bring the assembly together and this is what you are to do. Now, he doesn't leave them alone though. Because he moves on to verse, verse 6 says this, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of the sincerity and truth. Paul says, do you... The reason this is important, the reason you shouldn't boast and be arrogant in the fact that this is occurring in your midst is because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He applies a word picture that they would fully understand. That if you leave that sin there unaddressed, it spreads. If, if, if you allow this man to keep doing what he's doing, the kingdom is going to go forth no matter what. People are going to get saved no matter what. The message of Christ is still going to go. But when those people come in and they go, oh, that's okay. Oh, you, you, that's okay? Oh, that's okay too. So I can love Jesus and do all of this? This is the best religion ever. He says if you leave it in, If you don't address it, the problem only gets worse. And not only does it get worse, you're forfeiting the, the, you're you're, you're putting reproach on the name of Christ. He said he he died for you. I mean, look at the uh, uh, verse, second half of verse seven. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not of the old leaven, the leaven of mouth of the evil, but the new leaven, bread of sincerity and truth. He draws them back to Jesus. Because you know why this is important? You know why sin should be dealt with? Because if it's not, it spreads. And you're forgetting what Jesus did for you. And he's calling them back to the reality that oftentimes, I mean, let's make it personal. Oftentimes when there's sin in our own life, we'll be just like the Corinthians and be like, well, I can reason around this a little bit. I can figure it out. And just leads to more and more and more. And so one of the things that I think I could have done better here 
is going into the word picture he is actually painting. I don't, I don't touch this at all uh, as far as um, seven and eight in regards to the example he's setting up with celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, but with uh, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Um, again, this goes back to preparation. I think if I would have uh, prepped a little bit more, I could have really expanded on the word picture that Paul is painting for those in Corinth in regards to the festival um, and, and what he's talking about as far as Passover lamb. Obviously, he is drawing allusions for these believers um, on something they would be familiar with in regards to Old Testament, especially the Jewish believers, the Jewish Christians now that are part of the church in Corinth, but also the Gentile believers. The Gentile believers, I think we often forget, um, are learning from learning from the old Testament that, um, that the Jews did. I mean, that that's where they're getting, that's their Bible. That's what they're learning about God from. So they would have been familiar with this, um, or at least somewhat familiar with this, this Passover lamb, this festival, like this, are, these are the things they're learning now that they're believers in who Christ is. And I don't go into expanding on that at all, which I think would have been more beneficial than what I do do in a minute, as far as you'll see the example I go with. Um, but that would have been more helpful, I think, in explaining the letter and how the Corinthians are are hearing what Paul is saying. And I don't touch it at all, which I think is probably, um, not probably, I should have done that and I didn't. And that's a lot of prep on my part. I did not do prep there. And he says, you're forgetting forgetting what Jesus did for you. He died for you. You're choosing the old way over the new way that you know is better. You know it's better. Now, he does make a clarification because the Corinthians, as do we, often get confused. Have you ever like mistyped something on the internet like you thought it was super clear but nobody else did? Hey, Happened to Paul too, apparently. Okay, so he clarifies verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of the world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters, since you would have to leave this world. Now, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or greed, or idolater, or reveler, or drunkard, or swindlers, not even to eat with such a one. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? For God judges those outside. Purge the evil from among you. Paul's really clear, and this is the part that I think we get really uncomfortable with. Okay, so to be clear... Um, what I like to do, and one of the reasons that I do it the way I do it is in regards to working through the text and teaching it the way I do, is so that people um, understand, like they have like this internal idea clock of where we're at, right? So as we work through the text, they know the text we've read. They, they understand um, like, oh, we're getting to the part where he ended. So he'll expand on this and then he'll end. I, I find it helpful. I don't know if... The majority of people maybe even understand it that way or process it that way. 
But my hope is that they have this understanding like, oh, this is where we are as far as time. This is where, you know, we're coming to the end of it. We're coming to the application part. Um, that's why I do it the way I do it. Again, not, not, not that that really has a whole lot to do with the sermon review. That's a lot more methodology, I guess, on that part of it. Um, but the idea would be that like as we preach through it, in your mind, if you're really concentrating, I guess, on time, um, you know that we're now at the last section of scripture that I read, which means we're at the last sort of breaking down what we're looking at, and then we'll go into the application part. But anyway, let's keep going. This is the application. They're confused because they're like, well, you told us before not to associate with the sexual immoral. He's like, yeah, that's like you have to get on a rocky ship and leave, guys. Like you, you live in Corinth. You walk outside. And there's a sexual temple beside you. Like, that's going to be the thing you're around. One of the things that I think is really off-putting to us, like, so we've been so blessed, even those that don't believe in Jesus, have been so blessed by the ramifications of living a Christian life that, that, that many of us have grown up, and what the, sort of the unsettling thing is that now we're sort of progressing into more of a post-Christian nation, and the unsettling part of that is you've grown up with a lot of just default morality around you, just based on the, the blessing of God anyway, and now it's shifting, and you're seeing that shift, and the uncomfortableness of that shift is that you're starting to, like, oh, yeah, this is real, this is as this happens. And Paul's addressing that. He goes, look, you're going to go into the world. You're going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to turn on the TV tonight. You're going to talk to a friend. You're not going to get away from the sexually immoral or, you know, the greedy or the swindlers, idolaters. You're going to come in contact with people that do those things. Paul knows that. You don't go live up on a pole until you die just to get away from those people. In fact, those are the people we're supposed to be talking about Jesus to. His clarification is this, and this is important clarification. But I am now writing to you, verse 11, to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of, and then he goes into that list. This is something that like, we're, we don't do a lot and we're super uncomfortable with. Just practically speaking, this is to say if there was somebody hypothetically that you know that says, I am a Christian. But I sleep around a lot. Bro, I'm going to talk to you, but I'm not friends with you. We're not buddies. They say, I'm a Christian, but I get toasted all the time. Real, real quick on that. I don't know where I picked up the phrase toasted. I don't know if it was high school or where I drunk that, that is what I'm referring to. <laughs> I had to clarify this uh, after service to someone. I, I apparently, again, I do not know where I came up with the slang term toasted for getting drunk from, but apparently I picked it up somewhere. And in my head for the life of me, I cannot say like, if I'm just like riffing and like just talking, I will interject toasted for drunk all the time. And I don't know why, but just, just clarification there. They say they're a Christian, but they are purposely trying to bring up aggression and fights and everything just because that's their personality. They're a Christian, but they, they like to steal. They thieve a little bit. They're not repentant for any of this. They don't care. 
They think they can be a Christian and do this. Now, this is different than admitting to the fact that, yes, like I am a sinner in need of grace and there is fruit of repentance in your life. Paul is not declaring that the church should be perfect and all of us are shiny. In fact, we have sort of the opposite problem than the Corinthians do. The Corinthians are like just putting it out there on the flag, marching down the street. Hey, we sleep around. We have the opposite problem. Because of a lot of like uh, the history of Puritanism. Like we just hide it. We don't have flags everywhere. We just internalize it and hope nobody finds out. Oh boo, you do too. Okay, so. Paul says. His hope for this man. When they bring him out. Even if he still doesn't reprint in front of the church. That casting him out will bear the fruit of what he's chasing. That's Paul's hope. Is that like, look, if you want to sleep around with your stepmom, go for it, but you're not a believer and you are going to reap the benefits of whatever comes from that. And Paul's hope is that those, those consequences for that will bring you back to Jesus because he says, we've done everything we can do. And he says, That man that gets cast out is probably going to still call himself a believer. Can't do anything about that. But he says what you are supposed to do is not associate with him. And the reason for this, the reason for this is because it's coming alongside and saying, no, I agree that he is also a follower of Jesus when he's clearly not. One of the things um, that I think I fell really short on on this that I should have thought out a bit better. It goes back to the Matthew 18 thing where I didn't really expand on that too much. Uh, I think that's really kind of where preparation wise and explanation wise, I really dropped the ball. Um, and, and I know this because I had a few questions after the service from people in regards to this. So I know I dropped the ball here um, in really explaining out like the steps of what that means, right? So there are people that we all know, and I think I mentioned this near the end of the sermon here, that we know that, that declare themselves to be Christian, but live in, in unrepentant sin. The distinction I don't make here is if they, if they understand that they're sinning. Like, are they in a discipleship process in which that's being pointed out to them and scripture's being taught to them and they're, they're progressing in their sanctification? And then acknowledging that they are sinning and repenting of that. They just were ignorant of that before, right? I don't go into that. And I think a lot of that goes back to the Matthew 18 process. I think um, Paul here is is clearly at the last step of Matthew 18, and that's what he's describing to the people in Corinth. But what I could have done better in this sermon is really breaking down those steps of like, when do we break fellowship with somebody? And the reason I think that's really foggy in this sermon is because I didn't do a good job in Matthew 18 of breaking down the three steps and the progress and how that takes some time and what it what it means for somebody to even realize that they're sinning, like uh, what a sin, sin is in their life. And that usually can only be really identified if you're in a community of believers, if you're being discipled, if you're in relationship with people. Um, and I don't mention any of that here. And that's a real failure of this sermon is, um, is not kind of catching us up as we're reading this, catching us up into that moment that that's already been done with this man that Paul's talking about. 
Um, but I don't really get into that. And therefore like we, we, what's that meme that escalated quickly, right? Like, it seems like we go from zero to a hundred really fast here. And the reason I think it feels that way is because I dropped the ball on really explaining out and using the time. Like who cares if the minute goes, the sermon would have gone longer than 35 minutes. I should have just interjected that and really explained that because it would have been more helpful in, in kind of helping people think through this, um, this whole thing. So let's keep going. Yeah, I know it's uncomfortable. I mean, practically speaking, I can't remember because I'm not in the news on this. I don't know if it's the Free Methodist or the United Methodist Church. There's a whole split in the church. There's a whole side of the church that has shifted their entire view on gender and sexuality. Whatever, we can get in a whole discussion about that. The point is, practically speaking here, they're cut off. Like, I'm going to be friendly with you. I'm going to have a conversation with you. You are not my brother or sister. The reason for this, the reason for what Paul is saying is that if you lock arms with people are in, that are in blatant disobedience to Jesus, but yet still say they love Jesus. He says that is really confusing for the people outside as well as the people inside. Jesus calls us to holiness. Jesus calls us to follow him. He reminds them in 6 through 7, he died for you. Follow him. He ends on something that I think is really important that we just need to remember. Verse 12. For what have I to do with judging Outsiders. I mean, if you were already mad at me, this is going to make you mad. <laughs> here's the thing. This is the beauty of me. Let me just break it. So one of the things I say here, I think you need to understand. Um, I know these people really well. Like these, these are my people. Um, so I, I go off occasionally off my notes. It's never, Never a good idea when I do, because then I just say things and I, I riff a little bit, which isn't great. You're going to hear that a couple times from here on out, right? It's not great. Um, but I just want to let you know, like, I think sometimes it's hard contextually. And I think I've been guilty of this for sure in, in some of the sermon reviews I do of being sort of overcritical of people when they say things, when like to their congregation and the people they're saying them to, it probably makes sense. But from us, like watching from the outside, it's super confusing. Um, but anyway, just to have, just so you kind of know, that's, that's where this is coming from. And like over to the side, this is the beauty of me just speaking once a month. <laughs> I don't care. Okay. So <laughs> I totally understand why Paul's like, I was a tent maker. You didn't support me. Okay, so, so here's the thing. Sorry, that was, that was Michael. So verse 12, he says, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? His point is this. God's going to take care of that. Yes, there are going to be people that do all sorts of debaucherous, horrible things. Let me pull back to what Paul said. You're going to have to leave the world, guys, to get away from it. A.K. You're not going to get away from it. God will handle that. Preach Jesus. 
Back in Matthew right, 18, when we were in the whole thing, he says, treat them, cast them out and treat them as Gentiles or tax collectors. Now, contextually, when we know how Jesus taught, uh, interacted with Gentiles and tax collectors, don't we? He's still loving to them. He still healed them. But he called them to the kingdom. The whole point of this is to draw them back, draw them in, tell them about Jesus. But Paul, he needs to clarify. He says, look, yes, those outside, yes, they're going to get judged. That's not on me. Is it not those, second half of verse 12, is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? (sighs) Okay. Thought we weren't supposed to judge. No, you're supposed to. In a loving family, brother-sister type of way. He says, this is what's supposed to occur. Gosh, I hope. Like, let's just be honest. If you guys saw me out there cussing up a storm, one of you would come up to me. Right? I mean, if you saw me bad-mouthing somebody else, I would hope you'd pull me aside and be like, what's wrong? Bad day? (laughs) Like, this is the whole point. There's... One of the benefits of the local community is that we hold each other accountable, not in a bat over your head type of way, but in a way in which we are a family as you would deal with your brother, your sister, your kids. Sometimes that doesn't sound super friendly. Do you know what I said this morning? A couple times? Get out of bed. I don't care. I did. I said that a number of times. There was probably some pooling too, okay? So, I guarantee there was some pooling. As we operate as a family of believers, there are certain things that are supposed to occur. Right? For the benefit of each other, not not for the the shaming or down. There's this whole system that the Lord himself was so gracious to give us. It says, look, if you have a problem with somebody, if they've done something to you, you go to them. You know something? That usually takes care of it. There's steps past that. And we have those. But the body functions, a healthy church functions in such a way. And again, it's not even, it's for our benefit. But overall, it's also for the benefit of those outside that they look in and go, that's a different system. Like you hold each other accountable. You love each other. You have vastly different interests, so I don't know how you hang out, but you do. Paul ends the second half of verse 13, reminding that God judges those outside, but they are to purge the evil person from among them. I'm hoping, like, listening back to that, I, I think that example worked out pretty well in regards to how we are to interact with one another. I know it's sort of a jokey example, and it was meant to be a jokey example of me getting my kids up in the morning uh, and not maybe doing it in the kindest of ways, but making sure that they knew they had to get up. Um, I don't know if I could have used a better, I'm sure there's other examples I could have used, but the idea that it communicates the same thing, right? That as a family of believers, oftentimes we, we judge those outside of the church and often don't use that same t- type of judgment toward those within the church where Paul's clearly saying like, God's got everyone outside the church. Don't worry. The judging will happen. You don't have to prejudge them. 
But what you should be doing and the thing they're not doing and the thing that I think applicability wise that we applicable, I don't know. I'm sure I got the word wrong, but the one thing we should be doing is judging each other in regards to holding each other to a standard. And sometimes that is hard. And sometimes that doesn't sound loving, even though it is loving. And that was the example I was trying to get across. Hopefully, hopefully that came across again. The, the example I used, could I use another example? The ideas behind it, did that get communicated? And I, I think it did. I'd be interested to know your thoughts though. So let's keep going. We got about uh, eight minutes or so left in this sermon. Again, understand that Paul's hope for this individual is that they would come back to Christ. That's his hope. That's his whole hope. Is that in the last days, his soul would be saved. But Paul also knows that he's at a point, this, this, this man is at a point where he's not listening to anyone. He doesn't care. He's so entrenched in his sin that he loves it more than Jesus. And Paul goes, the only thing we got left, cast him out, let that play out however it plays out. And our hope is that he'll come back. And there's a methodology here that I think is very helpful for us as we wrap up. The first thing is that sin needs called out and repented of. Now, I would say that starts individually for us first. When we recognize and acknowledge, there's, there, there's probably something I need to deal with. Okay, one of the things that I found, and again, this goes back, this whole thing, everything I find wrong with this sermon is on preparation, right? One of the things I try to do here that I think maybe isn't necessarily correct, I don't think, know if it's wrong, because I think what I'm, what I'm attempting to do here fits within what Paul is telling the people at Corinth and the application we can get from it. But he's talking to a body of believers about how to deal with individual sin that, um, that needs dealt with. I, I two tier this here at the end, dealing with how we should deal with it individually and then how we should deal with it corporately. And Paul admittedly does not talk about this individualistic sin. Paul, when he writes to all the churches, when Jesus even talks uh, to, to his disciples, when, his disi- when we have letters like from James or, or Peter, this is all corporate. I think this individualistic idea um, is very like Western. And you can see this come through in my sermon, right? So there's this very, as we sort of wrap this up, my application is individualistic and then it's community. Um, I don't know if that's the best, the best way I could have broken this down, but this is how I do it. So listen through. But then also, that's really more of the easier thing to do, isn't it? Because that's just you and you. But if we see others even maybe outside of our congregation that we know declare Christ, we call them on it too. The second step is we pursue that person in the name of Jesus. One of the things that I think often happens is when we call out sin or when we even address this in our own lives, we forget the, 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 whole, the whole purpose. Jesus died for you. He died for us. Why Why are we so often prone to love our sin more than him? And often what gets us to a place in which we recognize that that is happening is brothers and sisters pointing it out. The third step is to bring in the congregation. This is something um, 
even with all the talk of we don't need to gather together, what's the whole purpose of the body? Like, there's a purpose. And Paul says, as, as believers together, we are actively working to call each other to account for the benefit of us and them for the glory of Christ. Sin, when it is unrepented of, not only affects the individual, but affects the church as a whole. See my reference to the Southern Baptist Convention. If we don't address sin, both ours and other believers, the name of Christ is harmed. I mean, that's ultimately the end point here. How is Jesus seen? And when when sin is addressed and repented of and brought to bear, the world sees something different in that. Because that's not how things operate. Very often, like, when's the last time you saw a CEO of a company be like, no, I'm, before anybody says anything, I stole all the money. No, usually it's, it's after. It's like, um, yes, I did it. Well, then- this is where I go off of my notes again. This is not like, um, I'm not sure what I was thinking, to be quite honest with you. You, you, can, you can probably tell like when it was getting to the end and then all of a sudden like I have a dramatic shift in, in like example and topic. I'm not sure why in that moment I did that. Um, I think it was, it's bad because we were really coming to a sort of a wrap up point. Um, and cause we, I, uh, as far as my notes, like this basically ends here. And then we, we sort of go into the call to worship, uh, an application, right. Of us saying like, we now know this, this is how we will apply it if it needs to happen. And then that's where it ended. For some reason, this last couple minutes, I go off my notes and I don't think it's for the benefit of the sermon. Cause it actually, I think there's a dramatic shift here at the end that I don't think was necessary. Um, uh, but that's what happens for me in particular when I kind of go rogue <laughs> and go off the notes and sort of just um, uh, riff a bit. So again, I don't know why I did that. I, 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 in the moment, I don't even know if I knew why I did that, but um, you're going to hear it. And I think there's a dramatic shift, especially if you just listen to the whole thing through, um, you, you can kind of see it at the end here. You're only telling us because you got caught. It doesn't matter. Forgive me, right? The Christian community operates in a different way. And how we respond to that says a lot. There's lots of people that I have the opportunity to talk to that they've confessed their sin and then everybody else goes, ew. eh." They don't get prayed for. They don't get prayed around. They don't get supported for for actually admitting that. But what we see here is a, a body of believers coming to call each other back to Jesus. This is a beautiful gift and a beautiful picture we see in Scripture. And it's something we, we, we eventually, right, individually, as we go out to the world, there's, there's a part of this that will have to come into play. There are people that you know, you could probably think of them right now, that declare Christ but don't live in that way. Right? I mean, yeah? God gave you something to do. Like, deal with that. You don't even have to guess. Like, there's a list. He said, this is how we function for the betterment of the body, for the glory of Christ. 
So this is what I'll, I'll have us end on. And do we have, yeah, you guys are still here. Good. Okay. So this is what I'm going to do. Um, I typically do this. I, I like to, as far as methodology of the sermon and how it kind of is all lined up. Typically, and I had not done that th this week. So uh, this particular week of this sermon, typically I'll get with the guys that do um, the worship music. And we'll talk about what the text is about. And, you know, we'll have a song that sort of lines up with that text and we'll sing it uh, before the sermon. And then we'll sort of end with that as well, sort of as a tie-in, sort of this, not only did we learn about it, and not only is the hope that we will apply it, but we're also, within the songs that we're singing, um, uh, we're declaring it through song as well, uh, if that makes sense. I did not, <laughs> did not do that this particular week. Um, just, again, prep, man, prep. I uh, hadn't done that. And so I get to the end of the service and I hadn't had the opportunity to talk to these guys before because I wasn't sure if we were going to end in a song. And then I throw it on them at the last minute. So you'll kind of, you'll be able to hear that. So like what you just heard before I pause it was me looking around to make sure those guys were still in the front that I could call on them to come up. Um, and then you will hear, oh, you'll hear the thing that I always, always get onto people about, which is the music starting before as the sermon wraps up now to to my credit the sermon's pretty much already wrapped up um but i'm I, you're, you're gonna hear the music so let's just go what i want to end on is how great is our god if, if we could do that if we have everybody in here that has the instrumental talent to do that i didn't warn them i'm sorry so if <laughs> he gave me an eye roll okay so <laughs> i want to end on this because here's the beauty of it right our God is great. Amen. And he is great to save. Yes. And one of the things that I so want to remind you of. That he is better than your sin. Yes. Guys. Like let's not. Again. Let's not pretend. That that's not a struggle for everyone. The, Cor the Corinthian church had no problem with that at all. We do. Like oftentimes we'll hide it. We won't admit it. We won't, we won't even address it. We'll just hope it goes away. Paul acknowledges that they're not going to be perfect. Read the rest of the letter. This is like, you'll fail like an A-plus Christian after you get done with this. You're like, I got nothing wrong compared to them. He knows sanctification is happening in their lives, but he continually calls them back to Christ. God, our God is great. Greater than I, I think often we, we remember or realize or know. Other, uh, later in this letter, he calls them out. He says, you used to be this, that, the other. Used to do these things. But you, you were freed from that. To pursue Christ. To glory in Christ. So what I will ask that we do as we close, if you'll stand, I know you don't know all the words of this song, but the course is a pretty easy pickup. <laughs> oh, there's the piano. Uh, if, if nothing else, what I want you to remember this morning, how great your God is. And oftentimes in our head, that corresponds with just how bad we know we are without him. If you recognize your sin, you definitely recognize how good he is that he saved you from it. And if you 
don't recognize your sin, I, 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 I pray that he wrecks you. I really do. I pray that he wrecks you so that you can come to him and know who he is. We'll sing this, we'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. All right, so that's the end. Um, so let's go back through, right? So let's go back through. Did I read the text? Yes, definitely read the text. Did I explain the text using context and culture and apply it? I think I did, but I'm probably a little biased in that as well. So you can let me know in the comment section if you think I did. And did I mention Jesus? I did mention Jesus. This is the one thing that really was aggravating to me after I got done. Um, I, I knew I mentioned Jesus's death on the cross. I knew I mentioned that. Um, and re-listening to it, it just reaffirms what I already thought, which is I did not mention his, his life. The re his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again. I almost, I, I tried to remember to always like put that in the sermon. And for whatever reason in the sermon, I mentioned his death a thousand times, but if you were a first time visitor, like that, you would assume Jesus died and that was it. And I, he didn't raise from the dead. And that, I mean, his death is what does all of it. And I failed at that point for sure. Like and that was the, I got done and I thought, man, I don't think I mentioned once that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't think I mentioned once that he ascended and is coming back again. And I was right. Re-listening through this, I didn't, I didn't, um, I did not do that. So no, I definitely failed on the third point for sure. So yeah, I read the scripture through. Yes, I think I did a, a pretty adequate job of teaching through the text. And I mentioned Jesus, but I only mentioned Jesus' death, um, which is a, uh, mark against me there. I, I oftentimes, if I don't have things written down, and this is an excuse. This is just the reality of how I have to remember things that if I don't have them written down on my notes to say, you need to say this, then I just don't say it. Um, so note to self that clearly needs to be something, even though I, I think I'm going to say it and I intend to imp implement it into the sermon. Clearly, if it's not in, run, in front of me written in crayon. Um, I don't. So yeah, failed on that part for sure. So once again, guys, if you want to uh, listen to this whole sermon, the link will be in the description below to an, uh, a link for a video, but it's just the audio of that, if that makes sense. But the link will be in the description below if you want to listen to that my whole sermon without me interrupting it. This was a very odd experiment. Ah, <laughs> strange. Uh, but hopefully you benefited from it in a couple ways. One, you sort of know my methodology and how I approach these sermon reviews because of how, I mean, I, I think it should be done this way, not because I necessarily do it this way, but the reason I do it this way is because I think it is the most beneficial way. Um, not the only way, but I think it is very beneficial. And I am by no means the perfecter of this. In fact, I deliberately chose this sermon of mine because I think there was a lot lacking in it for sure. Um, so that being said, guys, thank you for listening all the way through. Thank you for watching all the way through. If you want to support what we do here uh, with the, the sermon reviews and the podcast and the lives and the Instagram and all that other cool stuff, there are links in the description below. You can either buy some of our resources. That helps us. You can become a patron. That helps us. Or you can, it's free, guys. You can like, share, comment, or subscribe. All of that costs you nothing. Um, and I thank you for uh, doing any of those things. Or if you do none of those things, you're still an awesome, uh, awesome person because you got this far. You listened one hour and 10 minutes. That's amazing. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. I'll talk to you next week.